Welcome to Braided, helping you balance tradition in an untraditional world. This is a show where we gather and talk about all things faith, family, and business. I'm so glad you joined us. Hello, hello, you guys. I hope y'all are having a wonderful Wednesday. Ah, sorry, I um, was writing up uh, downstairs and I'm a little out of breath now. Um, I hope y'all are having an awesome Wednesday. We're so close to Christmas. I hope y'all are ready. Um, let me know if you are ready in the comments. Let me know how your day is going. I need to catch my breath here. And my water's way over there. <laughs> but if you hop on, say hello, let me know you're here. Um, let me know if you're ready for Christmas. Let me know what your Christmas plans are. Um, I would love, love to hear what you guys are up to. Um, so yeah, so I'm just going to dive on in today. Um, we are on day 18, Do You Know Him? And... Since I am on a new audio, I'm going, okay, looks like we're good. Okay, so day 18, do you know him? Today's reading, Luke 18, other passages to ponder. Jesus replied, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water, John 4.10. Yes, the sovereign Lord is coming in power. He will rule with a powerful arm. See, he brings his reward with him as he comes. Isaiah 40, 10. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleanses the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the aged. He rewards the diligent and he beautifies the meek. Now that's my king. Do you know him? S.M. Lockridge. My birthday falls exactly one week before Christmas. Hard to compete with Jesus. For some reason, I feel all kinds of tension and vulnerability around my birthday. It's a busy time for everyone. I never want to inconvenience anyone's already busy schedule. Plus, I'm an introvert. Still, there's a piece of me that wants to sell to be celebrated, even though I may end up hiding in the bathroom the whole time. 
I remember one year amidst the Christmas season, it occurred to me that there was there were no family plans on the calendar for my birthday. I asked my dear husband about it, and I could tell by the look on his face that though he had forgotten about, about my birth, though he hadn't forgotten about my birthday, the time had slipped away and we'd have to scramble to put something together. I felt like an afterthought, an inconvenience. It's embarrassing to admit this now, but I broke down and cried. The seemingly trivial pain stirred up some deeper hurts burned in my buried in my soul. Our conversation escalated and I said something I shouldn't have. The pain in my husband's eyes put a knot in my gut. He leaned in and asked, do you even know me? Gulp. Truth is, I know him well. He's one of the most grounded, stable, strong, and kind men on the planet. He'd made an honest mistake. It's sad how easily circumstances can skew our perspective and make us doubt what we know to be true. As we walk through Luke chapter 18, we find a reason to ask ourselves, do we even know who Jesus is? Do we know who he is? Do we place more weight on our ever-shaking circumstances than we do on his unshakable character? Are we still more confident in our ability to get it right than we are in the fact that he is always right and always good? One day, Jesus told his disciples a story to show that they should always pray and never give up. Jesus described a poor widow who suffered injustice and needed an advocate. This dear woman's circumstances placed her at severe disadvantage. She was a woman, not recognized in a court of law, and she was poor, had no means to pay for her defense, yet she was relentless and would not be denied. Why did this destitute woman have to appeal to a judge who neither feared God nor cared about people? Jesus used this story as a great example of how to pray and not give up. I wrote a whole book on that topic, but let's zoom out a bit and consider the contrast between the unrighteous judge and our righteous and holy God. Do we know him? If an unrighteous judge would eventually hand out justice, won't God himself come to our aid, stand in our defense, and answer our prayers when the time is right? This parable, in some ways, is a lesson in contrast. The widow was poor, was without an advocate, and stood before an ungodly judge. We, as heirs of God, on the other hand, are recognized in the heavenly court and have every right to appear before the king. Furthermore, we can be assured of his glad welcome. Ephesians 3.12, Hebrews 4.16 Have an advocate. Jesus himself, he intercedes for us day and night. We're not bending the ear of an unrighteous judge to get his attention. 1 John 2.1, Hebrews 7.25. Have the heart and the ear of our God who longs for us, loves us, and intends to finish what he started in us. Psalm 18.6, Philippians 1.6. We approach Jesus with the assurance and confidence not because we're perfect, but because he is. We fully trust that he'll come through for us because of who he is, how he is, and how he has grafted us into his family. We cannot perform well enough to earn a miracle for our families, finances, or health. Jesus wrapped up this parable with an important question. But when the Son of Man returns, how many will he find on the earth who have faith?
Luke 18, 8. The word faith in this passage translates this way. The conviction, conviction that God exists and is a creator and ruler of all things, the provider and bestower of eternal salvation through Christ. Two words related to faith are fidelity and faithfulness, which mean having confidence in the character of the one who can be relied on. Let's sit with that idea for a moment. Jesus not only invites us into a relationship that involves audacious and tenacious prayer, but he also is asking us to remember who it is we're talking to. We genuinely are tethered to a good, good God who remembers our birthday, collects our tears, heals our hearts, and defends us against our soul's enemy. He intervenes in our situation, leads us when we're unaware, and establishes us in his purpose. He softens the hardest hearts, forgives the worst of sinners, and uses the most unlikely saints to accomplish his purpose on this earth. This is our God. We're not journeying through this life like a rudderless ship or with a sail flapping in the wind. We have a purpose. We were created by God himself, and he knows our name, where we live, and what stresses us out from day to day. We serve a sovereign, overseeing, holy, and good, good king. Do you know him? Two men went went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and one was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee wasn't really praying. He was pontificating, bragging, really. He showed up to show off. On the other hand, the tax collector knew full well that his own humanity disqualified him, if not for the mercy and grace of God. One man approached God expecting praise, the other hoping for mercy. Jesus's response, I tell you, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Luke eighteen fourteen. Here again, we're invited to observe the difference between one who knows God and one who does not. Someone once said, when you feel too big for your own britches, go stand before a vast ocean and remember that its creator easily holds those waters in his hands. Have you noticed how easy it is to strike up your own defense, to judge someone else who does the very things that you do, but maybe do a higher degree? Why do we do that? I submit it's because we've forgotten who God is. When I catch myself noticing someone who spends too much money or who squanders their time, and I've tipped it to feel a bit better about myself for not spending that much money or for not wasting that much time, I have to ask myself, do you really want to go there? Do I want to put myself before a most holy God and strike my own defense? Have I forgotten who it is that forgave me, saved me, and redeemed me? People who've walked with God a long time and know him for who he is would rather swim in his ocean of grace than stand on their flimsy attempt at righteousness. Every personal flaw we're forced to acknowledge, the frustration we face, the hurt we feel, and the delays we endure beg the question, do we know him? We tend to think that if we get our immediate needs met and if people don't disappoint us and if our plans turn out the way we hope they will, Life will be good and we will be okay, but it's just not true. The whole purpose of our lives is to know God more, walk in his way, and trust his nature. 
Jesus wants to know that when he returns, he'll find faith, a confident and sound hope in his character, in our hearts. We don't acquire that kind of confidence overnight. We come by it. We come by it one faith, one choice at a time. It's impossible to please God without faith, faith, and it's impossible to trust someone you don't know and love. Do you know him? I bow before your holy temple as I worship. I praise your name for your unfailing love and unfaithful er, and faithfulness. For your promises are backed by all the honor of your name. Psalm 138:2. Prepare him room. King of kings, Lord of lords, I bow before you this day and honor you for who you are. Forgive me for being so easily shaken by my circumstances. Help me to know you more. You are sovereign. You are good. You are kind and you are true. You are faithful and you love me. If I could see you in all of your glory and strength, looking at me with eyes of great love and affection, I'd confidently face my foes without wavering, knowing you'd be there for me. Help me to trust that's true even now. I am yours and you are mine. What a glorious reality. Amen. Look up. Make it your aim to know God more. Seek his face. Read his word. Listen for his voice. Fiercely fast from the temptation to judge others. Avoid like the plague in any tendency to engage in prideful self-praise. Humble yourself before Almighty God. He will lift you up and establish you before a watching world. So this, this today, that reading, day 18's reading is a wonderful reminder to get to know your God, get to know who he is, get to know what he expects of you as a Christ follower um, and and get to know what it means to be obedient to him. We're about to go into a new year. So take this time. We have a few days left of this Advent season and get to know who Jehovah is and get to, to know who he is in your life and just how amazing and beautiful he is and how his promises are true. Um, so let's dive into day 19, an unexpected savior. Today's reading, Luke 19. Other passages to ponder. The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is wonderful to see. Psalm 118, 22 through 23. Rejoice, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. Look, your king is coming to you. He is righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, riding on a donkey's colt. Zechariah 9, 9. Today, vast spiritual spectership enter into worship when considerations start turning into hesitations about something Jesus is clearly at the center of. Throw hyper caution to the wind and celebrate Jesus with abandon. Alicia Britt Cole. There's a picture in a pile of old family photos that worth that are worth a thousand words. I'm about six year old, six years old, my brother about seven and a half. We're sitting in front of the Christmas tree with our newly opened gifts, me with my new doll and my brother Jeff with his G.I. Joe truck. Only one of us is smiling. Jeff grins ear to ear. He holds up his truck with two hands like it is the best thing since sliced bread. I hold my doll by the hair and let her dangle in the air. I refused to smile for the camera because I was so disappointed in my gift. 
I was a tomboy through and through and didn't want a girly gift for Christmas. My mom found my angst so funny that she decided to capture it on film. I didn't see the humor at the time. We laugh about it now. It took me a while to admit it, but I eventually fell in love with that doll. Over the years, my mom not only checked a few things off of our Christmas list that we wanted, but she also surprised us with gifts that we didn't ask for, but ended up loving most of all. Over and over, Jesus disrupted the status quo. The Jewish people expected one thing and Jesus gave them another. They expected him to make his grand entrance with pomp and circumstance, but he entered the world through the womb of a poor teenage girl. They expected a powerful king that would overthrow Rome. Instead, they got a humble servant who suffered and died for his people. And consequently, whose resurrection victory overthrew the verse powers of hell. They expected a king who'd abide by the law and maintain social distance from those who'd made a real mess of their lives. Instead, they got a king who broke tradition and yet fulfilled the law and who crossed social barriers to reach the messy, hurting, humble in heart. Jesus continually frustrated those with rigid expectations, yet he delighted those who expected nothing, but at times dared to hope for something. Before getting to Jerusalem, Jesus stopped at Jericho. Zacchaeus, a notorious sinner and chief tax collector, shimmied up a tree to get a better look at the man who, who was the talk of the town. To Zacchaeus' great delight, Zacchaeus's great delight, Jesus smiled at him and invited himself to dinner. Once again, expectations blown to smithereens. Jesus enjoyed food, laughter, and rich conversation with a group of thieves, thieves most everyone despised. He knew this move would upset many, yet he did it anyway, not for the sake of disruption, but for the sake of a heart ready to receive his king. Zacchaeus and his friends were thrilled. Others, aghast, they gossiped and crumbled their way through the crowd. Jesus didn't always do what the people wanted him to do, but he did what the world needed him to do. He took his cues from the Father and saved souls one at a time. While at Zacchaeus's house, Jesus declared, Salvation has come to this home today, for this man has shown himself to be a true son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who are lost. Luke 19, 9-10 Like him or not, people wanted to hear what Jesus had to say. Next, he told the parable of the king's ten servants. He did so to correct the impression that the kingdom of God would begin right away. Once again, people assured that once assumed that once the Messiah made his appearance, culture and systems would change practically overnight. And permanently. No more Roman oppression. There was a new king in town, but instead, Jesus explained that the crowned king would arrive, but then he'd go away for a while, and his servants would be assigned the task of stewarding the kingdom until his return. What? He's not staying? And when he returns, he'll take inventory of how we stewarded the first phase of his coming kingdom? Not what people expected. Next, fulfilling a prophecy, Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey to the shouts and praises of the people. Blessings on the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest heaven. Luke 19, 38. 
The people had no idea how prophetic their praises were, but Jesus knew full well that those very praises would soon turn into curses. Yet he stayed on a mission. As Jesus drew closer to Jerusalem, his passion surged for the city, for the lost, and especially for those with hearts so hard, they'd never admit to needing a savior. He was so moved by their lostness that he broke down and cried, Imagine, who is this man that the wind and the waves obey him, that children are inexplicably drawn to him, that the poorest of the poor and the marginalized adore him, that demons flee because of him, that leprosy is no match for him, that sinners want to spend time with him, that the rigid religious would despise him enough to kill him, and that his closest friends and followers would rather die than deny him. Jesus is still surprising people today. Has he bewildered and astonished you as he has me? I can't count the number of times when I, much like Mary and Martha, felt that Jesus waited too long to come to my aid. My dreams died. Heartbroken, I wondered where he was and if he cared, only to later learn that he was there all along waiting for me to discern his presence when all I felt was his absence. Jesus taught me this unexpected lesson. While he cares deeply about the desires of our hearts and is tending to some of those even now, any gift from his hand pales in comparison to the treasure of knowing his heart. His heartbreaking delays sent my roots deeper into the soil of his love, which proved to be a far more substantial gain than my temporary desire. I've been startled by his unexpected goodness in moments when I was only focused on my predictable badness. I've been amazed by his mercy when I knew I deserved judgment. I've been astounded by his faithfulness when I've only given him a few seconds of feeble faith. Over and over, Jesus shows himself to be strong and gentle, patient and powerful, tried and true. He doesn't belong in a box, and he's not bound by formulas. He is the king of an everlasting kingdom, and we're his joint heirs. He promised we'd have trouble in this life, but he calls us to be of good cheer because he's already overcome, which means we will overcome. Prepare him room. King Jesus, you are beyond my imagination and beyond my comprehension. I want to know you more. I confess that my expectations of how I think you should show up have kept me from seeing you for who you are. You are not predictable, but you are faithful and always will be. Blow the doors off of my limiting beliefs and increase my capacity to walk with you on your terms. Show up in my life in unexpected ways. Surprise me, Lord. Amen. Look up. Fast this holiday season from rigid expectations, but be wide open to divine surprises and setups. Open your hands and dare to pray. Surprise me, Lord. That is a big dare. Am I right, y'all? <laughs> um, we get so caught up in what we want, how we want it, the ways that, um, the things that, the ways that we think life should happen. And I mean, I know Darren and I have been on this road for a long time and we have really um, had to humble ourselves to his plan and his will for our lives and say, God, not our will, but yours. 
um, we are going to be obedient to you and our hope is going to remain in, remain in you. And we are going to continue to seek first the kingdom of God, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it hurts, even when the growing pains are hard. And so I want to challenge you this season, if you are going through something um, where it just feels like it's out of what you wanted or what you thought, how you thought it would be, uh, release those expectations, give them to God and, and receive his new mercies every morning, every morning, wake up and receive his new mercies in exchange, uh, do a lovely, beautiful exchange of your expectations for his mercies and start your day off with his mercies and only his mercies and be obedient every single day. Take it day by day. We don't know the future and we don't have control of anything. So I hope that these two readings blessed y'all and, um, and yeah, it's, we're almost, we're, we're almost at the end y'all. Um, but I hope y'all have a wonderful rest of your evening. Um, and I will talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode. Please visit us at www.braided.faith and find us on all social media platforms under Crystal Addis or Braided Faith. We look forward to connecting with you.